following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Well, the year has started. Um, and some of us have made resolutions to go sugar-free, some to go to the gym more, some to read the Bible. Some of you probably have dropped out of that already, but um, we persevere and, and we continue with it. And part of this New Year resolution is to be more thankful and to be detailed in our gratitude. And so I chose this passage this morning for this very purpose. I don't know where you guys are spiritually. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what word you need. Um, so I bring this word that I brought to my congregation a year ago um, from now. And I would like to focus on, on the ministry of thanksgiving. And it's important. It's important, the ministry of thanksgiving. And we see that the Apostle Paul, whenever he writes, he is a very thankful, grateful man. It's a spirit of gratitude that shines throughout Paul's letters. And he has much to be thankful for personally, but he doesn't think only about himself. He has an eye for the grace of God in the lives of other people. And he knows that it's all from God's mercy. But he has learned to track them and to trace them and to be quick to point them out. And so first, as I focus on verses 2 and 3, having received the whole context from the whole chapter, first I want to focus on this very thing, the, the service of thanksgiving. And our call is to be men of prayer, of course, but as we'll see, to be also men of thanksgiving. Paul is a converted Jew, and he kept up the practice of regular hours of prayer. He prayed at least three times a day. Something he learned as a young boy and, um, and part of the normal Jewish cycle of prayer will be also a section of thanksgiving. A section of thanksgiving. And, and he knows it's a biblical thing to do. The Bible is full of thanksgiving. See, if we just read the Psalms as we read Psalm 103 and, and every single Psalm, it's first and foremost a song of thanksgiving. Psalm 107.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfastness love endures forever. Psalm 136.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His lo love endures forever. This is, this is the opening um, creed of thanksgiving. And that's why thanksgiving is part of godly prayer, part of element of worship every Sunday. Every worship service should be part of our, 
personal life too. And that's why uh, we do it. Psalm 104 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. As you enter the temple, as, he, as you enter worship, as you, you enter that spiritual encounter with God, enter with thanksgivings. And that's why Paul knows this. And in Philippians 4, 6, he says, Do not be anxious for about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Then later in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, who is this you? It's a slaughtered church. Paul was able to stay in Thessalonians only about 20, 20 something days, not more than three weeks probably. He had to flee. And when he went and traveled and went to Athens and then to Corinth, he doesn't know what he has left behind. A pile of bodies in the church room, a mass grave of a young Christian church, or a number of deconverted, apostatized people. And yes, some of them has fallen asleep in the Lord. And we don't know from the text if they're Christians or not, but we know that some of them has, have passed away. And Paul tells this tortured church that this is the will of God for you right now, there where you are, to be thankful at all times. And we know also that Thanksgiving, since there is a lot of seminary students in the room, Thanksgiving is a special activity of the elders of the church, ruling or teaching. It's a ministerial duty. Paul writes to 1 Timothy 2.1. He says, Timothy, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Thanksgiving be made for all people. And doesn't mean the uh, people groups or countries. It surely does include that. But for all men, all kinds of men, good men, bad men, in good situation or bad situation, you find what is grace in them. You point it out, trace it, attribute it to God, give it back to him. And that's why he says later to Colossians 2, for devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Thanksgiving is the activity of the gathered church also. In Ephesians 5.19, Paul says that we are to speak to each other in that famous passage with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, making music from your heart to the Lord. Verse 20 says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks for everything. And because not being thankful is, is a sin. It's really the very first thing, the very first sin in the history of civilization, not being thankful that you have the whole forest 
and you count one tree that you can't have. That's what all, forts, all forms of perversion is, that we're suffering um, as a culture today, not being thankful to what God has called you to be, a boy or a girl, a man or a woman, rich or poor, slave or freedman, not being thankful. And then you turn things upside down. And because the world is not thankful for what God has given them, they count what they don't have, what they, other people have that they wish to have. And because they are not thankful, Paul says in Romans, for although they knew God, they never glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So not only do we have a calling to being thankful, all of us, public, private, official, and individual, but as we read, when Paul says in verse 2 and 3, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mentions of you in your prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God the Father, knowing, beloved brethren, that your election is by God and that our gospel didn't come to you in vain. And then the rest of the chapter continues. What we see here, that not only is Paul grateful in general, but he is grateful particularly in particular. Paul's thanksgiving was particular, not in general terms. Oh, I'm thankful for your brother. But he was detailed for what he thanked God. And there is a list of things that he has there. And there's a reason why we read Psalm 103. It's a list of what God has done in our salvation. There is a list of God, of what God is. There's a list of what God generally does for our salvation and has done in history. And that's what Psalms do. They detail them. And that's what Paul does in this passage in the whole book of Thessalonians, really, both letters. He details them, he traces them, and he interprets them. And so we must be also detailed in observing God's blessing in our lives and in the lives of others. Paul had a keen eye to spot grace in the lives of other people as well as of himself. And the reason... I think that we don't see grace, we cannot spot them in the life of other people, is because we have not learned first and foremost to spot God's grace in our individual personal lives either. Because we're always counting other people's blessings, we forget and we don't know how to count our own blessings. And we're called both. We're Call to not count what we don't have, but what we do have and what other people have in Christ Jesus. And Paul knew very well that every sight of spiritual life comes from God and can be traced back to the mercy of God. And he saw those traces everywhere. He knew how to see them. And also, we see that Paul was not shy. He was verbal. He was... He was loud. 
in telling his brothers and sisters in Christ what were some of the blessings that he saw that God had achieved in their lives. And this is very important. And that's why learning to detail this is very important. And I'm preaching to myself this. I've discovered that this is one of my weaknesses. I, I don't do it as much and as often. And the practice of tracing the grace of God in the lives of other people has many, many benefits, and I could list just five. First, it makes us encouragers in general and not discouragers. It makes us not naysayers, but yes-sayers. Secondly, it greatly, it goes without saying, it greatly encourages other people. But we also get the benefit out of it. Thirdly, it encourages our own hearts. Fourthly, it forces us to obey Philippians 4, 8, 9, where Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. These are the main categories Paul gives. And he says, put everything under those boxes, detail them, list them. And verse 9, he says, the things which you have learned, detail them. The things that you have received, the things that you have heard and saw in me, this do. And the God of peace will be with you. And so finally, we see that it produces peace in our churches as well as in our own hearts. Why do siblings bicker? Because they're counting the spankings that the other sibling is not getting, that they are getting. They're counting what the other sibling has, that he doesn't have it yet, will have it in five minutes, but he wants it now. Why does all the countries bicker with each other? They have their eyes on each other's property and riches and glories and strength and position and power. And it does not produce peace. It produces conflict in our churches as well as in our countries and hearts. But we have to see also that, um, yes, we have a ministry of thankfulness, gratefulness. It has to be detailed, but we have to see also the content of it. One of my favorite um, Christmas movies is White Christmas. And um, because I love the song, and therefore I love the whole movie. But the main soundtrack of the movie was not supposed to be what we know as, as uh, uh, the song I, I Wish for a White Christmas. The main title of the, of the, the main song for, for the movie is supposed to be what those two um, young lovers sing to each other, which is, I learned how to count my blessings, if you remember the movie. But as true and as right, um, the advice that the guy gives to the girl, learn to count your blessings, the content of it is wrong. Because during the song he says, when my uh, bankroll's stack goes down, 
I think of the good times I had and the riches I had. But that's not the content of our thankfulness. Yes, there is, in a sense, we think of when God was gracious to us and gave us food and shelter and clothing and opportunities. But our content of our thankfulness have to be so much more than just the temporal things of this world. And Paul says there in verse 2 and 3 and 4, that we give thanks to God always for you making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. What is that? Three things, three, three combined things. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God the Father. And then also he mentions your election by God and how they responded, verse 5, how the word of God came to them in power, um, verse 5 and verse 6, how they became imitators of God and of Paul and of Christ, the doctrine of biblical, the biblical doctrine of imitation. Um, and how they have joy in the Holy Spirit and so on. The whole, the whole letter is, is a list to teach us how to be grateful, what to be grateful for. And it's interesting, those three categories, faith, love, and hope, aren't they? It's Paul's favorite thing, 1 Corinthians 13. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of this is love. In Galatians 5, Paul says that, for through the Spirit, by faith, we Wait expectantly for the hope of righteousness. So faith and hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision carries any weight. The only thing that matters is faith working through life, love. And so we need to focus a little bit on these three main categories of, of tracing grace in the life of each other. Life in the Thessalonian church first was marked by work produced by faith. Faith, receiving and resting in Christ for our salvation. Not just a set of ideas to be talked, to be debated, but a, a triumph declaration of what God in Christ has done for us. And faith, true faith works. True faith has hands and feet. Salvation is by faith and not by human works, but faith has its fruits in good works. And the gospel changes lives. God transforms every aspect of human existence, relationships with each other, with money, with the world, with even the trees outside. God sanctifies all our, those relationships, and the gospel does that. God does that through the gospel and through grace. And this is what happens when God becomes the center of our existence. These Christians, these young Christians in Thessalonians are living for the glory of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, as they're waiting for the second coming of God's Son from heaven. And so we see there that they are no longer pursuing self-interest they are not enslaved by sinful desires, but they, they cared for each other. They cared for poor, for, for, for poor Paul. They, they cared for the mission. They gave out of their struggle. A new life was in them. Faith 
and that produced work, great work among them. Paul says, I don't even need to come back to your region to do church planting because everybody knows about the gospel. And has been, what, two months, three months at most that Paul had moved, had to move away from the area. And they have evangelized the whole region. But not only that, Paul says that not only your work of faith, but even a labor of love. They were marked, this Thessalonians, by a labor of love. Life had immediately become very hard for the Thessalonian church when they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it becomes very hard immediately for almost everybody in the world when they become Christians. Because you lose certain rights. Which is the reason why many don't want to come to Christ. Because they know they lose certain rights. The right to enjoy sin. The right to do sin. The right to live for yourself. The right to pursue your own interest versus kingdom interest, kingdom pleasures, kingdom-related works. And that becomes hard. And I think it has great apologetical value. Historically, the Marxists have held to the position that people become Christians because it makes it easier for them to, grow, to go through the sufferings. It's the opium of the people. And weak people become Christians. Religion is for the weak. And religion makes things better. And here is the apolog apologetical value in this. In today's age, it's not true. The 20th century, the most bloodiest century of all the centuries for the Christians and not just for the world in general. And the 21st century hasn't started any better either. And it looks by all um, calculations so far when you trace the um, trajectory that is going to be the bloodiest and the deadliest century for Christians so far. It's not for weak people. It doesn't make life easier to become a Christian. It makes it harder. And there is apologetical teeth to that. And I encourage you men to use it. Jesus says, you have to pick up your cross and follow me through faith and hardship. In Matthew 26, 16, 24, it says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Labor there in the Greek is different from work. It's much harder, harsher activity to bless the church. To love someone in the church, inside of the church, is hard work. To love you, I'm sure, it's hard work. I don't know you, but it's a blanket statement. And because I know it's hard work to love me. And it's, love, it's hard work to love a redhead. <laughs> um, we're all sinners. We're all 100% sinful. And you multiply it by 50, you've got 50,000% sin in this room. 
Mathematically, it's impossible. But by God's grace, it's doable because we've been transformed. And so the labor of love is hard. It's not easy, but in Christ, it's achievable because it's the Holy Spirit. We don't love with our own love. We love with the love of Christ. And so Paul says, you have to continue to give yourself as you have continued to give yourself until it hurts. That is the labor of love. Paul uses that wonderful phrase in 2 Corinthians 5.14. We are ready to do anything for the salvation of the lost. And he says, because the love of Christ constrains us. It's a freeing love on the one side when it comes to sin. It's a constraining love on the other side when it comes to obedience. Love is a constraining force. And third, Paul says there that work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Life in the Thessalonian church was marked by steadfast, inspired hope by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their hope, their steadfastness was eschatological. They lived eschatological lives. Jesus was coming any day. And that's the call for us. And you know what that kind of eschatological hope, that imminent hope does? It gives stamina. It gives stamina. Because it makes you see something that most people don't see. It makes you see through the eyes of faith the finish line. When you watch the Olympic Games and those runners, either, either the, the 100 meter or the, the marathons, and you, you see them in the last yards and the last moments there, they're just about to die. They're just about to, to, to give up their soul. They have worked so hard, they're pumping so hard. But there's that, that white line there on the floor, and they know two more steps, and they're going to touch it, and they're going to win it, and they're going to get the crown. They see it, and that's what faith is, seeing Christ coming. For Christian hope is not wishful thinking. It's not, um, I, I, I wish... I will try harder and maybe it will happen. It's not a general positive attitude in life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fake it until you make it. But it's seeing the finish line. That is what's living um, with the eyes fixed on the truth. Because Christian hope is based in truth, is based on the sure promises of God that one day he will make all things new through Christ Jesus. And so it brings me to a few short applications. Let us all be men and women of frequent prayers. Why should Muslims pray five times a day? To a God that doesn't exist, who cannot answer anything 
because who can, cannot hear anything because he's not anywhere to be found. And we who have, as Paul says in Ephesians, that, that nuclear power of the three persons of the Trinity that raised Christ from the dead, we have that in our use. All we need to do is reach our hand and grab it through prayer. We don't pray. We don't pray as much as Muslims or the Hindus or the Buddhists. Let us be men who have a keen eye on noticing the grace of God in our life, first and for all, in the life of others. And let us be men who privately give thanks for God's graces in life. It's easier, and it's sometimes strategical and political to thank the grace of God in the life of that person you are talking to. And you get on his good graces, and it's a compliment, and it oils the wheel, and it's nice. We need to do what Paul says, and, and is thankful particularly for the grace of God, and it writes it on paper for us to read today. But I think the true um, reality of our gratefulness is when we are thankful for the grace of God, particular particulars of grace, God's grace in the life of some other person, and we don't even let them know. We're thankful for them. We don't have envy in our hearts for them. And then we go and tell them personally. And let us be men who, and women who point with joy to other people, God's work and graces in their life. They need to hear it. Because we're all blind. We're all blind of God's grace in our life. We don't know how to count. We don't know how to count. And we need each other to learn how to count as a community. Let us be men of encouragement and encouraging of others. And when we speak of personal faith, let us consider our own faith and hope and love. Does it produce works every day? Do you examine it? Do you have the love of Christ in your life? Do you feel it constraining you to do things that you will have not done normally? Do you possess all the three Christian virtues, faith, love, and hope? Are they active, public? Can others see it? Can they trace it? Can they see the fruit of work, labor, and perseverance? Do you give out of labor, or do you give out of abundance of your life? Do we persevere in the graces of God? Are we keeping our eyes on the grace of God until Christ's coming? Do we have our eyes in the finishing line? When something happens in our life, do we have our eyes on our phone to see whom can we call that will help us to solve this problem? Whom can we have to put a good word for us somewhere? Do we, do we have our, our eyes on, on the prayers of the church for us? Because we 
are too weak to pray for ourselves or too untrusty to God. And we think that the prayers of other sinners like us will have more efficiency, efficacy than our own prayers. Or is our faith, our faith, a true faith? Let us pray. Dear God, this evening we pray that um, you will make us men who know how to see your hand in our lives, in the lives of each other, of our church, in the history of our nations, of all the situations you have put us daily in this life. But Lord, give us eyes to see how you work everything for the good of those who love you and who you love with a steady, everlasting love. And so, Lord, we pray that you will commit us to yourself even more so. We, Lord, we dedicate this evening ourselves and our offerings to you. And, Lord Jesus, we pray that you will make us your active army as this week starts with your worship and with the work of love tomorrow morning. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.